there's a gap of, okay, well, this smart contract says that, that I will rent to you, but then you just walk in the door with a handgun, right? There's no regulation that actually ties smart contracts to real physical action that I'm aware of. And that's kind of where governments come into play. And I'm curious to see where the space, how do we handle those sorts of problems? You're listening to Hacker Culture FM, a podcast about the people and movements driving cybersecurity culture forward. I'm your host, Sean Sun, and on this episode, how a small team of penetration testers are tackling security issues in a technology that has been up and down the hype train. Before we get started, here's just a quick primer to some words that get used in the episode. A blockchain is a way to record information without having to rely on a central organization. The information that's recorded is shared with everyone on the network so the data is never lost. A smart contract is a decentralized way of facilitating a transaction. An ICO is a way that blockchain companies can sell their own crypto-based tokens to crowdfund their own ventures. Use cases for blockchain technology, whether they're actually useful or not, has grown exponentially in the past few years. While the hype over Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies has died down quite a bit, there's still a lot more room to grow. On this episode, we talked to AJ Chanhawk and Preston Thornburg about Ledger Ops, an offensive blockchain security firm. We talk about entering the space, what makes a good penetration testing company, and whether or not they think blockchain security will actually stick around. AJ and Preston, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no worries. So can you guys tell me about what you two have been up to for the past year? (laughs) Yeah, so for the past year, uh, I've been traveling around the world and breaking into things as I go. And for me, uh, for the past year, I've been doing pen testing, compliance work, and been working with Preston on blockchain security gigs. And how did you guys get started in blockchain security? Yes, there's a funny story. Um, I used to work at IBM back in the day for Big Blue and uh, a mutual contact between AJ and I, we actually had never met. And I was, I forget which country I was in at the time. Um, And our buddy Adewale actually contacted us and he was like, hey man, would you guys be interested in kind of helping out on some engagements? And AJ started getting contacted via his entity that he had at the time, Stratus. Um, Next thing you knew, we kind of combined forces and and started knocking out uh, some contracts with each other and had a really good time. The clients kept calling us back for repeat work. um, So it went really well. Yes. Myself, kind of how I got into it, is I actually started running a close to 100 GPU mining farm and then quickly realized that I'd probably be better off using my security expertise and combining that with my interest in blockchain. And like Preston said, we kind of just found each other online through a mutual connection and started working together and uh, having fun in the blockchain security spaces. So the the, the partner of Ledger Ops that's missing today, um, he's Mosan uh can you both tell me your experience with him, what you guys think of him, uh, why you think he isn't here today? I'll let you take that. that one, Preston. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so why why Mo is not here today? There could be five potential solid reasons. Okay. Um, some would involve that he lost his wallet in a nightclub. Some could be that I who knows he could be on a ship somewhere. It's really hard. To okay. Um, but all jokes aside, Mosan is probably one of the best human beings I've ever met. Um, the world has changed his, his entire uh, demeanor of, of who he is as a person. And uh, the cool thing about working with Mo is that 
Um, and I've spoken to several people and they're like, why did you and Mo even combine forces? And it's not the technology side. Um, and when you look at this whole, like if you're building a team of like, what do I offer? What does AJ offer? What does Mo offer? Mo is one of those few people in your life that when you meet, it's not possible to forget him. And that's it's a very rare trait that people have. And when you find those sorts of people, you're like, how can we make this work? And of course, his technical skill sets are off the charts as well. So uh, that's that's all just like a side bonus, right? Nice. How about you, AJ? Um, so I met uh, Mosan through Preston, uh, you know, after working with Preston, you know, his technical skills and you know, delivering quality work, he, he, you know, was like, hey, I wanted to bring on my buddy Mosan part of this uh, endeavor, you know, and I trusted Preston. And it's kind of like going back to college and hanging out with a bunch of my bros that just happened to also want to start a company and do cool security work. So I can't really ask for much more than, you know, being able to hang out, do good work and work well together. Uh, AJ, do you remember the first time you met Preston? So we met uh, virtually around a year ago, or um, just kind of found each other on LinkedIn, started chatting through a mutual friend. It was like, hey, uh, you know, trying to find blockchain security people at that time, it was close to impossible. So, and I had a gig coming up. So, brought Preston on board. We worked together. We, uh, we both did pretty well. I think. Uh, our quality of work and how we work together was great. So we continued to do so. And, you know, six months later, finally met in Arlington with Mo as well, grabbed some beers. And yeah, that's kind of how we got started on Ledger Ops. Nice. And Preston, uh, how did you know, or when did you know that you guys would be working together as co-founders? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some really talented people over the years, uh, whether it be you know over, across several industries, whether they be pen testers or more on the compliance side. Um, and anytime I've always been you know looking to build a company or build a team, and I think it's very important that you have offsetting skills of I might be really good at something, but maybe absolutely abysmal at other sorts of things. And uh, AJ is far more structured than I am, right? So. When you start trying to figure out of like how can you build the ultimate team, and of course Moson brings a ton of talent when it comes to the technical side as well, whether it be mobile testing things of that nature. Um, I, I guess it would have been during one of the, one of the first uh, blockchain assessments that we did together of just kind of how the the structure of the engagement went, and it was very smooth, um, which was really cool. So, how do you explain uh, Ledger Ops to someone who isn't familiar with what you guys do? So I would explain LedgerOps as a blockchain security company. Our goal is to become the leader in the blockchain security spaces. Um, we're a team of offensive security experts that have fun breaking into stuff, and blockchain is one of them. Um, and there's been a good number of, I think, smart contract auditing companies that have been that have been kind of spun out since, like. I guess the advent of blockchain. Um, can you tell? Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, how you go that extra mile with like blockchain security, or what the differences there are? Through our research and working in the blockchain security spaces, the smart contract auditing spaces is just one component of blockchain security. And specifically, smart contract auditing seems to be a much more crowded space. It kind of just looks at blockchain from a single perspective. You know, that is the smart contracts that are deployed onto the blockchain. And more so, that's tied to Solidity and Ethereum. Kind of how we go the extra mile is doing a full source code review, which includes the blockchain network code, as well as smart contract code, and also doing uh, some network-based 
pen testing, you know, on keyboard, trying to attack things. And if you have anything to add, Preston, go for it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so uh, with the smart contract auditing side of the house, typically that's usually referred to in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, there are other projects that use smart contracts as well, such as uh, Aeon, such as EOS, a lot of other, a lot of other projects that are really coming to fruition. Um, I think our niche is that we accept that there's a lot of competing technologies. Um, and I know that it's easy for a lot of these development teams to kind of get siloed and certain teams may bash other teams because they're working on a different chain. Um, to me, it's, I think we're all going for the same goal. We're just going about it in different ways. And so uh, we've been really fortunate to be able to partner with a lot of really solid projects and get exposure to a lot of different implementations for the same sorts of problems. Um, and I've seen a lot of blockchain companies kind of set up bug bounty programs to kind of work on their, I guess, application security or whatever security. To be, I guess, like blunt, um, there's a lot of, like, I guess, buzz about uh, penetration co testing companies and having like rivalries with bug bounty programs. Um, there's a lot of like fear of, you know, someone taking someone's lunch, stuff like that. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah. So um, you're exactly right of there, there is a valid fear and there should be a valid fear, right? Um, those bug bounty programs are successful for a reason. Um, it doesn't happen on accident that, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of these large institutions are starting to use uh, publicly funded or, you know, publicly available bounties. Um, with regards to us, we actually, we considered partnering with a few bug bounty companies and we're still considering going about that route uh, just as a way to offer more value to our customers of the more eyes looking at the same problem. Um, I think it's our opinion that we don't necessarily care about the bottom line as much as as maybe a really well-established, you know, multi-year tenant uh, pen testing shop, right? That has a lot of bills. We don't have a lot of bills. Um, so for us, we're much more into pulling in the people that we know and that we trust that have high quality work, um, and pulling them in with us on, on contracts. And, you know, in addition to that, we've also considered taking part in some of these public bug bounties for uh, blockchain companies, you know, to grow our skills and expertise and, you know, pen testing can be complementary to bug bounties and be a part of it. Bug bounties aren't going away, pen testing's not going away, so it would kind of be difficult to set ourselves up in a position where we're competing with both sides. Yeah. Um, the way the way I see it is actually uh, like, AJ, you were talking about how it was hard to find people who even operated in like the blockchain security space itself, and bug bounties almost seem like a good way to find that talent. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so how different is, I guess, the methodology to test like a blockchain company's stuff versus just like a traditional pen test engagement? Yeah, for sure. So if you take a decentralized network, um, the same basic principles and methodologies apply from traditional network pen testing, whether it be a bank or a financial institution. Um, however, the, the, uh, the stack of, of potential vulnerabilities, potential areas for issues is substantially higher. Because now instead of dealing with, you know, basically a single database, now you're dealing with, you're taking a database and you're throwing it out over thousands of people. And then you're basically re uh, requiring those people to reach agreement on an action actually happened. Um, and where it gets really funny, which this is gonna be my anti-blockchain side, is that there are a lot of assumptions made with those networks that because it's decentralized, it's secure, well, what happens as those nodes, the number of nodes that are actually approving transactions and validating transactions goes down, you become like a more uh, highly centralized repository, if you will, which kind of goes against the entire premise of decentralization. Um, so yeah, it's a crazy space, man. 
Um, so speaking of like being anti-blockchain, I think there's a lot of very there's a lot of good PR, but there's also a lot of bad PR. Like it, it kind of leaves a bad taste in our mouths when companies kind of increase their valuation by just adding blockchain to their name. What do you guys think of that? Uh, in my opinion, it's a very valid way to feel. Um, a company has added no value by by throwing blockchain into the name. I believe it was Kodak or Canon. Yeah, yeah, Kodak. one of them. Right. So Kodak spins up like a blockchain team or something and suddenly their stock price goes to the roof, which is absolutely just that's insane. Right. They've done nothing of value. And unfortunately, this whole ICO craze really put a bad taste in people's mouth and rightfully so. Right. A lot of people lost a lot of money. They fell for for scams. Um, It was a great time to get rich quickly um, and then have the exit strategy. Right. Um, So it, it is unfortunate and it is a valid way to feel. What do you think of like blockchain's longevity? Do you think uh, that by 2025 that there's going to be more use cases for this technology or that it's going to be something forgotten and left in the past? I would be stunned if it hasn't gone uh, in an exponent, like a uh, an exponential growth manner. I would be really, really surprised if the prevalence isn't substantially larger. Um, adoption will continue to increase. The technology will continue to improve. Um, and not just adoption and, and the tech and how cool it is, but the, the uh, like to make it usable, right? Right now, it's extremely difficult to take Bitcoin. And if you want to go to Starbucks, well, how are you going? Are you going to throw uh, your keys onto your smartphone and, and do it that way? I know. So Samsung now has like a secure enclave chip. I think it's called the Puff chip or whatever it is. Um, we have not had a chance to review it and kind of go into it. Uh, but that's kind of the first step in how do you bring your crypto with you in a secure manner, um, theoretically. Um, so I think as those sorts of kinks start to work themselves out and as so I don't know if you heard, but like Kroger um, in several stores is currently denying Visa because the fees are so high. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of use cases. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure in the industry right now of these fees are just out of control. And then, of course, you have geopolitical factors yeah, which sure. I hope so. By 2025, it grows. You know, that's kind of why we're here in the blockchain security spaces. Our bets are on that. You know, it's going to take off. And, you know, I pre-ordered my Samsung S10 to play around with that crypto enclave. And also, I think the HTC Exodus also has a built-in crypto wallet. The Opera browser also has a built-in crypto wallet. So, uh, you know, despite the crypto prices crashing, you're definitely seeing a lot of great tech coming out to bring it, bring crypto and blockchain you know, to the masses. Mm-hmm. What is what are some of the, I guess, strangest or most interesting new use cases of blockchain that you guys have seen? So, in my experience, what what I've seen has been uh, <clears throat> kind of surprised me is the whole geopolitical factor when it comes to crypto. Um, and the use cases of the ability to move money in a peer-to-peer manner without paying ridiculous fees or without depending on third parties to take your cash um, and go across the border and give it to your family when you've been working in a mine, things like that. And you take a lot of Eastern Africa. um, It's a legitimate problem of people are working, uh, they're migrant workers, and they have no way to get the money back to their family, right? Um, You also take things like hyperinflation like Venezuela, um, you've got Zimbabwe, which is, I think it's like one quintillion, one quadrillion, whatever, however many dollars is basically worth zero. Um, and it's a real problem when governments fail their people. So I think that that's one use case. Um, uh, there's some, there's some really cool tech coming out in the regards to like, you take like radar relay and decentralized exchanges and the ability that now essentially, instead of if I want to send 
or convert funds into a different ERC-20 token, I can now control my, my keys um, and not have to give the rights to an exchange and basically trust that that exchange won't steal my funds. Um, so it's really taking the idea of like you being your own banker. Um, I think that that tech is really cool as well as VeChain, which does like supply chain in China um, and, and really tracking medical devices and medicine um, from A to Z uh, because, and the results, it's the direct result of medicine tampering. People got really sick in China. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting use cases when it comes to supply chain management. I think there's a lot of, a uh, couple other cool things. Uh, you know, just recently downloaded the Brave browser. So you have the ability to earn crypto for watching ads. So, so that's pretty different use case. And, you know, from a internet infrastructure type thing, there's a, a theory of name service, which its goal is to move DNS off from your centralized authorities into one built on uh, Ethereum in a decentralized fashion, which is pretty cool and fundamental to the internet. And Preston, you said that you've been traveling for the past year? Yeah. Um, so in the past three years, it's been just about 50 countries. I'm only familiar with, I guess, I guess information about blockchain or like the hype around blockchain from a very like US perspective. What is that like around the world? Yeah. <clears throat> so I actually saw a prevalence of Bitcoin um, in South Africa. You could tell that there was definitely a movement. I think South Africa is trying to be very proactive on this whole tech movement. Um, the place that I really saw it the most was Prague. Prague is like it's become a, a mecca when it comes to decentralized technologies and this idea of just peer-to-peer -peer money digitally. Um, you can buy a beer with, you know, Litecoin, with Bitcoin, doesn't matter. You actually get discounts if you do so. They've got a lot of community movement. Here in Denver, Colorado, it's a huge space when it comes to just really, really high-end developers. So um, I would say the sentiment globally might actually be higher than here, but it also is a result of need, right? USA is a very comfortable society. Um, the pressure for us to change the way that we operate is, is substantially lower than somewhere in Africa. Let's talk about, I guess, you guys as security experts a little bit. AJ, before Ledger Ops, you were running your own penetration testing company called Stratus Cyber. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so I started Stratus Cyber, I think, two and a half years ago and did you know, both pen testing and compliance work for federal entities and you know, then got into the blockchain spaces uh, as well. Uh, so it was a handful of federal clients and commercial clients as well. And can you tell me a little bit about how, like, I guess, AJ, what is your security origin story? Sure. So actually, I spent about 10 years in the intelligence community doing cyber threat hunting, protocol analysis, and also spent a couple years as a web developer, you know, eventually kind of got tired of working in the cleared spaces, you know, not having access to uh, internet all the time and my cell phone and had the opportunity to jump off, jump out on my own and start a strata cyber from there. You know, I had that and bring my Intel cyber threat hunting security expertise, you know, out to the commercial spaces and blockchain spaces. And Preston, I believe you were at Big Blue working as a developer? Yeah, it was a really bad one. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, man, I the, the reason I'm here in the pen testing slash offensive security space is the result of my friends uh, really helping me out, really driving me to like, hey, if, if this is what you want to do, what's it worth to you? Um, I was working at IBM absolutely hated it. 
there's a lot of great people there, but it's just not my thing of being like a, a small fish in a giant ocean, right? And um, so I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity working with uh, Knowledge Consulting Group. And I was actually brought on to work running like vulnerability assessment scans, right? So like, you know, next, next finish and, you know, here's your report, whatever. Um, and the contract kind of got delayed. And so as a result, I ended up kind of sitting in this little booth with Andrew, who was with Grey Noise, right? It's one of the best of the best, as well as Mosan, and just kind of like watching them and listening to them and seeing what they're working on. Um, so the next thing you know, you're drinking beers until three o'clock in the morning, every single day, four o'clock in the morning, and just learning and like listening and buying pizza and just like diving in, right? Um, and then I ended up doing the OSCP, which is an offensive security certification. And that was really kind of what propelled uh, this whole movement of like, all right, now it's game time. Um, and then from there, it's just been, it's just been a, you know, it's been a great opportunity. So having talked to Mo and uh, Andrew, I hear that there was a lot of stories about uh, fraternal hazing. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your experience under their tutelage? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a phrase that will be with me until the day that I croak, which is the Andrew Morris School of Learning, okay. <laughs> which is essentially sit in your chair and have us laugh at you and eat popcorn while you just sit there and struggle. Okay. Um, which it was it was fantastic, and it's it's honestly the best way to learn because it forces you to. You know, it, I'll never forget the box's name. It was in the OSCP lab and the box's name was Phoenix. And I was sitting there and I was just like, dude, I cannot figure out what, what am I missing? And you know, you're missing something very basic. And Andrew's just laughing, just sitting there. And of course, this is after hours. And Mosan's like, you guys want some popcorn? And just literally brings in this giant bag and they're just throwing popcorn back and forth. And so um, it was a good time, man. Okay, nice. Um, what are some challenges that you guys have faced um, from starting this company and what are some that you guys are facing now? I think uh, mission and branding, you know, that's something that we're all kind of learning about how to you know, go about doing marketing, content marketing, SEO, you know, all the business side of things that we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, you know, the security work we're also learning in as well, but you know, that's something we've got a handle on. But the operational side of things is definitely more difficult and it requires a lot more uh, learning and coordination, but we're definitely getting there. It's fun. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what keeps, I think, all of us going is learning new things, doing new things, figuring out how to make it make it successful. I think for me, what, what's interesting is uh, you asked, what are the largest problems? And for me, what I've noticed as far as in the, in the blockchain space in particular is each of these projects is trying to achieve, for the most part, uh, a similar solution to a different problem, right? And it's really interesting to me of evaluating them with a non-biased hat as much as possible and seeing, does this project make like logical sense, right? Does, does, does it even make sense to not just use a database, right? Databases are great. Um, and, and I think that's, for me, that's one of the, the most difficult, but also the most rewarding problems is figuring out which projects uh, you believe in and figuring out um, how those projects could die. Right. And really diving in of like, now that we accept that the tech is really cool, let's put on, you know, the other side of the hat again and, and let's approach it from the outside of how could this whole infrastructure fail? Um, what could cause this project to die? Can you guys give me a primer to blockchain security? So basically, my thoughts on blockchain security are, 
you know, when you think think about it, you're thinking, how do I hack the blockchain itself? But in reality, it's a lot of your traditional cybersecurity issues. You know, how do you prevent a end user from going to the wrong website and inputting their private keys to a malicious website? How do you prevent them or help them not lose their keys? How do you secure your APIs that are connecting to a blockchain? And basically, how do you design and implement your the components that are tying into a blockchain securely you know I, and often it's not necessarily the back-end crypto and hashing that's going on in the blockchain that's insecure it's all the components tied into it that cause vulnerabilities and breaches and whatnot yeah for sure it's, it's certainly not always a math issue i would say it's it's really implementation and um I think one of the key areas that we've noticed across some of these engagements uh, resides more in the fact that developers, look, security is like really hard, right? It's really hard to build something that's secure, that's still operable, right? That still works. Um, and it's really easy to dive down this rabbit hole of creating some really cool technology that works at like as a layer two solution, right? Or something crazy like that. Um, but it's also really easy when you start going down that rabbit hole to forget the larger picture. and. How are my nodes being deployed, right? What services are exposed? Um, how are we validating transactions? How is consensus reached? Um, how are we storing our keys in these wallets? Are they being stored uh, literally just private keys in a plist file on iPhones, right? Um, all sorts of attack vectors, your traditional web app layer uh, of like even exchanges, right? And, and kind of how are they handling account authentication, things like that. Um, you've got the network layer vulnerabilities, and then you also have the underlying actual blockchain technology. Um, so the attack surface is quite large. So I think there's a lot of fear that gets generated every time like an exchange is hacked, right? With Binance or like Mt. Gox. Um, is there any like work being done in the compliance space and like trying to at least come up with the best practices, stuff like that? Yeah, so that's actually an initiative that we're very interested in. Um, I wish I had some wizardry thing to say, but I don't about that issue. But what I will say is that it's still very much the wild, wild west. We don't have regulation in place. And another interesting part is this whole idea of theoretically, all of this stuff is great, right? Of We can do peer-to-peer -peer transactions and we can use smart contracts to ensure that people do what they say they'll do. And you take things like uh, housing and, and rental and basically being able to prevent housing discrimination, right? Via smart contracts. Um, Something I'm really interested in, and I'll probably start diving into like in more of a blog form, is all of that stuff is great in the digital universe. But when you start talking about reality and, and like tangible universe, right, there's a gap of, okay, well, this smart contract says that, that I will rent to you, but then you just walk in the door with a handgun, right? There's no regulation that actually ties smart contracts to real physical action that I'm aware of. And that's kind of where governments come into play. And I'm curious to see where the space how do we handle those sorts of problems? Yeah, and from a security perspective, uh, like Preston said, there aren't any compliance frameworks or standards around blockchain implementations. There's SOC 2, HIPAA, NIST 800, and at this point, you're kind of forced to shove blockchain or cryptocurrency into one of those frameworks. It may kind of fit, but then you leave, you know, a lot of the blockchain concepts and ideas itself around decentralization, key management, uh, kind of don't necessarily fall into those frameworks. And, you know, we actually have a white paper that we put together not too long ago on NIST 853 and blockchain and some ideas to think about.
about. So it's something we're interested in. I want to pursue a little bit further as enterprises start adopting blockchain into their businesses. That's something that they might dive into a little bit more. Let's say that someone who's listening is planning for an ICO or has just done an ICO. What are some common mistakes that you see a lot of developers make? Yeah. So um, one thing I would say is for anyone that's considering going that route is like sit back in your chair and, and sip on a beer or sip on a coffee and really think about, do I need decentralization to make this project <laughs> successful? I'm dead serious. Like you think I'm joking, yeah. but I'm being dead serious. Yeah. We yeah. have, we have legit, I can't even tell you the number of calls we've had with people that it would make a lot of sense uh, if we didn't have a soul, right? To, to take a contract with them and help them build a, a blockchain. But after you speak with them for six minutes, you're like, dude, this doesn't make sense. Like, like use a database infrastructure. It's faster, it's cheaper, it's more dependable. Um, you can, like, it just makes more sense. And so uh, for anyone that's looking to do something in a decentralized manner, I think that that's the first step is like, does it pass the sniff test, right? If it does, then you have to start considering, okay, um, what, is, what are the actual components of this network? Um, what's the goal? What's it trying to achieve? How are you going to do that? And when it comes to the security side is like, um, you know, how are you going to handle consensus? Like, how can you have multiple people reach an agreement um, in, a, in a trustless manner to where, or, or are you building a privatized blockchain? Like, um, we've, we've had a lot of these calls, right? And it's always interesting of every use case is completely different. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you have to assume that every single person on the internet wants to bust your stuff up, Right. And so you have to really take about it while you're building um, this public repository of sorts. Uh, you have to assume that everyone is malicious. Um, so it's imperative that like, and especially as you begin and you take a product and now you throw it on the internet and make it to where everyone else is running your product with you, you have to really assume, um, are they going to begin modifying my code and redeploy it and you know, basically spinning up malicious nodes? And how are you going to prevent that? And so there's all sorts of threat vectors. Going off of that as well is you know, how do you keep the end user safe? You know, like my Ether wallet, how do you keep them from going to my Ether wallet with a little tilde above the E and then inputting their private keys into some malicious website? Uh, you know, that might not be something that's your fault, but as you have a responsibility to your customers to keep them safe, you know, educating them like, hey, you know, don't just send crypto to a random person that says they're an admin of a Telegram group that you joined here. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, but you but you could if you want to moon though. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think a lot of it is keeping your community vigilant and engaged, and kind of putting some of those protections in place so your customers and users don't get foolishly tricked into doing something stupid, and then it just happens to reflect poorly on you. So startups are really hard, especially in a space that is so new, and they're isn't that much around, I guess, essentially blockchain security as a whole. Um, how do you avoid burnout? Okay. So I, that was like a two-part question. Um, startups are very hard. I agree. Um, we are fortunate in that uh, the premise of going broke while we build out the blockchain side um, isn't a fear, just given our backgrounds. We still serve traditional security sorts of clients, um, whether it be banks, agencies, whatever. Um, how do I... Uh, avoid burnout would be guitar and traveling. Um, without either of those things, I would rather just not even probably be here, to be honest with you. Because when you, the second that you start traveling, it's kind of like, it just fundamentally changes how you operate. Um, it changes your views of like, 
why do you need a television? Right. And, and then you start thinking about media and how it's just very easy to be manipulated. And it's just kind of, you go and you see other cultures and, and how they're addressing the same problems that we are. Um, and it kind of keeps your brain feeling alive. Right. And for me, I think uh, part of what also drew me to Preston and Mo was, you know, we're all about remote work. And I think that definitely helps uh, avoiding uh, any sort of burnout. You know, here's what we need to get done by when, you know, we'll figure out what schedules that happens. And that kind of, you know, lets you work at your own uh, own pace, uh, avoid burnout and whatnot. Yeah, you know, startups are pretty hard. But like Preston said, we have cash coming in from traditional security work and kind of and flows, you know, some some days are super stressful, you know, everything's going wrong. And then other days, you kind of just taking it easy, getting all odds and ends done. And we're not out here to work 200 hours a week and burn ourselves out. We're thinking more about developing a, you know, good lifestyle for us while being the thought leaders in, you know, blockchain security spaces. What is your metric for success, um, both for yourselves and for Leisure Ops? Yeah, so for me, the my primary metric of success is when we finish an engagement and when the customer calls me and I ask, look, did you, do you feel like we did a great job? Would you, uh, are there things that you would recommend we improve on as a team? Right. Um, and we've been fortunate that I can't think of a customer to date that we've worked with that didn't call us back for more work. Um, and that tells me a lot that tells, that tells us that one, we become part of their team, right? It's not just you're doing an engagement kind of like in traditional pen testing where, you know, you smash and grab through a bank, you show them all these bones, right? And you write this beautiful paper and then you help them fix it and then it's done. Um, a lot of our contracts have been, they're like, hey, would you mind joining our team, right? In some capacity and providing regular code reviews. Um, to me, that's really important. Obviously you have revenue metrics, all that sort of stuff. Um, but to me, it's it's really more about the customer and what their thoughts are of us. Yeah, definitely. I would uh, totally agree with that. You know, repeat customers, you know, basically our customer retention rate, how many customers keep coming back for us to help them out. You know, that tells us we're learning, we're providing great value and good customer satisfaction. And I think long term, you know, some cool metrics are for us to be able to say is, you know, how many nodes are we protecting with a blockchain security platform that we we've built six months or a year from now? How many different platforms are we protecting? And I think that would be kind of a, a vision for a year or two years down the line. If someone were to write a Yelp review about or, or like, a you know, a hacker Yelp review about their penetration testing experience with you guys, what would they say? We actually have reviews of customers uh, that wrote some really kind words for us. And it's always really cool of, of kind of how they talk about you. But I, I would say that in an ideal universe, what they would say about us is that, hey, it wasn't just like hiring a security auditing firm or a pen testing firm. Um, they provided such great value and they worked with our team so well to fix issues, you know, within a couple of days as opposed to a couple of weeks. Um, the experience, it's all about just the customer experience. Uh, and it's not just about the experience, though, it's also the quality. And um, when you're doing everything from source code reviews to looking at the nodes and at the network layer to going in and maybe you're looking at repos that, that are uh, like alpha builds, right? And so you're proactively looking from an attacker's perspective at code that, that they're really just finicking with. And you're like, hey, man, just so you know, you might not want to use uh, these particular methods to achieve this particular goal. Um, I think that's something that we're providing already is we're really being very proactive in these projects as opposed to just a, uh, you know, oh, hey, there's this new prod build that's coming out. 
we've already looked at the thing 10 times by then. And I think on top of that, uh, you know, one not issue, but one challenge with security is that, you know, we give a customer report and they're like, okay, that's cool. You know, now tell me what it really means. What do I need to fix? You know, what, you know, what is all this? You know, here's five lines of code. You know, what is the actual vulnerability? Explain it to me. And that's kind of where we pride ourselves in being able to explain those more complex concepts and be like, you know, here's the actual issue. Here's how to fix it. You know, we have someone here, you know, just talk, talk to us about it. We'll help you through it. And on top of that, you know, providing some extra value, like, hey, you know, we did an open source review of your organization. Here's just some things we, uh, you know, found, you know, just that anyone that can it, on the internet can figure out about you guys that might be something to look into, just kind of providing that extra value that the customer doesn't ask for, but we do for them because we want to help their organization be secure. Yeah, more like OSINT sort mm-hmm. of stuff and, and like passive enumeration. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so final question. Uh, what is one lesson that you guys have learned in running uh, multiple, I guess, penetration testing firms? I think a lesson in, in just business in general would be who are you surrounding yourself with and what inspires you to wake up in the morning to keep going? Because it's not always going to be easy. And, and from my end as well, it's you know finding that overlap between what challenges you and helps you wake up in the morning, and what do your customers perceive as value? You know, you wake up in the morning doing great work, but no one likes it, no one acknowledges it. Um, you know, being able to find that overlap of where you're excited to wake up in the morning, your customers excited to receive your work, and you know that's how you run a successful business. I would say. Nice. Uh, well, AJ and Preston, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Absolutely. Hey, thank you very much for having us, man. Thanks for having us as well, Sean. Yeah, no worries. Uh, would you guys like to leave any last words, uh, f- uh, words of wisdom, shout outs, anything like that? I'll give some shout outs. Uh, I've actually never gotten to meet these two teams, but Trail of Bits and Chain Analysis, the work that those guys are doing is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I would highly recommend reading their blog posts and stuff like that. They're doing some really cool work. Absolutely. And I would uh, echo Preston's uh, as well. You know, they're trail a bit to someone I follow and read their technical work as well. They're great people. Nice. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening. The LedgerOps team are on the forefront of blockchain security. When they're not hacking, they're sharing reports and research on their website. You can read about it on ledgerops.com. And if you're interested in what we're up to, head on over to our website at hackerculture.fm. That's hackerculture.fm. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more by searching Hacker Culture FM. This episode was recorded and mixed by me. Special thanks to AJ and Preston for an awesome conversation. We wish them the best. And of course, thank you, listener, for tuning in. You can let us know what you thought of the episode by tweeting at Hacker Culture FM or leaving us a review. I'd love to hear from you and use your feedback to improve the show. And don't forget to tune in next week on wherever you listen to podcasts.